Join Wondery Plus and Apple Podcasts or the Wondery app to listen to Business Wars early and ad-free. It's February 1999. Louis Vuitton Moet Hennessy Chairman Bernard Arnault sits in a pink overstuffed chair in a hotel room in Midtown Manhattan. Reading glasses perched low on his nose, he reviews sales reports across the LVMH empire, but he can barely concentrate. He really only thinks about one thing these days, buying Gucci. Still half reading the report, Arnaud shuffles to the door. A bellhop stands outside. He holds a silver tray with one of the hotel's envelopes propped up on top of it. The facts arrive for you, sir. Arnaud fishes in his pocket and pulls out a $1 bill. He hands it to the bellhop, taking the envelope. He opens the envelope and pulls out a folded piece of slick paper. As he reads the short missive from his second-in-command, his bushy eyebrows furrow in confusion. He strides to the phone next to the bed, calling back to headquarters in Paris. His second-in-command, Pierre Godet, picks up right away. Bernard. Pierre, I I don't understand this message. What is an ESOP? It's an employee stock ownership plan. Gucci has used it to release tons more shares of stock. They've neutered us. Arnaud grips the phone receiver so tightly, his knuckles turn white. In contrast, his face turns bright red. No! The lawyer said they can't release that many shares, that the New York Stock Exchange doesn't allow it. We asked, I remember. Godet stammers. Yeah, well, he missed something crucial. There's an exception for companies headquartered outside of the United States. Are you kidding me right now? How much do we pay this guy? Look, it could still be illegal, but we'll need to sue Gucci in the Dutch court to find out. Well, then let's do that. Yesterday... We're on it. But there is one other thing. Now what? There's a clause in DeSoleil and Ford's contracts that say they can leave Gucci if ownership changes hands. The press are calling it the Dom-Tom bomb. It's essentially a poison pill to disincentivize a hostile takeover of the company. Arnaud emits a low growl. He doesn't care about losing DeSoleil. He can hire another CEO. But Tom Ford is Gucci's creative director and responsible for the company's renaissance. On the other end of the phone, Godet clears his throat nervously. So, uh, given that, do you still want to go through with this suit? We could take the Aesop as a reason to walk away. We're not walking away. I want Gucci. And I want Tom Ford. We do whatever we have to do to get both. Roger that. Arnaud is determined to win. But the fight is getting uglier than last season's rejects. If you travel for work, you know to pack two suits. Business and swim. You know with your Delta Sky Miles Business Amex card, buying that plane ticket for a business trip can get you closer to medallion status. You know that a meeting in Montana means visiting almost every national park. Yellowstone? Check. 
Because you're the chief excursion officer. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum Business American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Terms apply. Visit go.amex slash you know business. Now, since you're a podcast listener, I'm sure you know all about how audio just does something to the imagination. So I'm really excited to tell you about how Audible's brand new exclusive thrillers are brought to life with that kind of captivating sound design, the eerie soundscapes and dynamic performances. There's one that caught my eye. I should say it caught my ear. It's an Audible original called Sleeping Dogs Lie by Samantha Downey. It details the aftermath of a local businessman's murder in Marin County, California, a once sleepy suburb now part of the bustling Silicon Valley area. And as an Audible member, well, you get to keep one title a month from their entire catalog, including bestsellers and new releases. New members can try Audible now, free, for 30 days. Head on over to audible.com BW or text BW to 500-500. That's audible.com BW or text BW to 500-500 and try out Audible free for 30 days. From Wondery, I'm David Brown, and this is Business Wars. On our last episode, Tom Ford's Design Sense and CEO Domenico de Soleil's Business Savvy made Gucci the most exciting fashion and accessory brand in the world. Over at Louis Vuitton, Bernard Arnault wanted in on the action. Arnault launched a search for a designer who could create Louis Vuitton's first apparel line. They settled on Marc Jacobs, a young, provocative designer from New York but the collaboration got off to a rocky start. However, when the Asian economy crashed and Gucci's stocks tanked, Arnaud saw an opportunity to add Gucci to the LVMH empire. Now, de Soleil is fighting back with everything he has. But in his determination to keep Gucci out of Arnaud's claws, he's forced to make some risky compromises. And Arnaud's bet on Marc Jacobs pays off, catapulting Louis Vuitton back into relevancy just as Gucci falters. This is our fourth episode, The Dom Tom Bomb. It's February 1999. Gucci creative director Tom Ford steps away from the living room window of his Paris apartment drawing the curtains closed. He crosses to the couch, collapsing next to his partner, Richard Buckley. He's gone. Ford has spent the past few hours keeping his eye on a man parked in a car across the street. Ford is convinced that the man is an investigator hired by LVMH chairman Bernard Arnault. The Dutch courts have frozen both the Gucci shares Arnaud purchased as well as shares de Soleil released via the Employee Stock Ownership Plan, or ESOP, while they rule on whether the ESOP is legal. Ford stretches his long legs onto an ottoman. I can't believe how messy this has gotten. Buckley splays the paperback he's reading over his chest. About that, I like Dom. You know that, but... 
Do you really think he's going to be able to pull this off? Arno's a shark. He never loses. Ford shrugs, taking a sip from Buckley's wine glass. We've talked about this. If Arnaud wins, my contract is very clear I'm free to leave. It'll be fine. I can start my own label. Sure, sure. Buckley takes his glass back from Ford and takes a deep drink. But uh, have you thought about what it might be like to have LVMH's muscle behind you? Could be exciting. You know Arnaud wants you to stay at Gucci's, so you would have leverage... You could at least meet with Arnaud, right? Just see what it would be like to work with him? Ford snatches Buckley's wine glass and drains it before Buckley can protest. But as he gulps down the wine, he realizes that Buckley's right. He likes working with de Soleil, but he doesn't owe de Soleil anything. He hands the empty glass back to Buckley. You're right. I'll set up a meeting, but first... We need more wine. Buckley lightly cuffs the back of Ford's head. <laughs> You're such a brat. The Desolais Ford Alliance has been seen as the key to Gucci's success, and now Ford is contemplating abandoning Desolais and getting into business with one of the most ruthless businessmen in the world. A risky proposition. It's February 1999, London. Bernard Arnault roots around in his jewelry case, hunting for the tie pin he wants to wear, the round one with the reeded edge. In about an hour, he's meeting Tom Ford for lunch. It's a meeting Arnault has been wanting to happen for a variety of reasons, one of which is because Ford owns two million shares of Gucci stock. If he aligns with Arnault and it's lights out for Domenico de Soleil. Arnaud finds the pin he wants and sticks it through his maroon tie. Arnaud puts the back on the pin and answers the phone. Arnaud speaking. Mr. Arnaud, we have Mr. Ford calling for you. A small tendril of worry wraps itself around Arnaud. He can't imagine a good reason that Ford would be calling him just an hour before they're set to meet. Thank you. Please put him through. Before Arnaud can even talk, he hears Ford yelling through the receiver. What kind of games do you think you're playing? Arnaud shoots a glance over at a pile of newspapers on the bedside table that he had the hotel deliver to him that morning. Peach-colored pages of the Financial Times stand out among the gray of the others. Arnaud suspects Ford is calling about an article in the Times that detailed Ford's compensation package with Gucci and also reported that Ford was meeting with Arnaud. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, please. The article. Oh, yes. I did see that. (sighs) Of course you saw it. I know it was leaked by LVMH. What's wrong with you? That's my private information. What, did you think if Dom found out about us meeting, he'd be so mad I'd be forced to align with you? Let me tell you something. It's going to take a lot more than cheap tricks like that to break me and Dom apart. Look, let's just talk about all of this over lunch. I'm not going to lunch with you. I'm going to war. Arnaud hangs up the phone. His attempt to defuse the Dom-Tom bomb has just blown up in his face. He needs to figure out his next move. Stat. 
Meanwhile, the Aesop has bought Desolée time, and he's been using it to make his own moves. It's March 1999, London. Domenico de Soleil paces in the living room of a townhouse owned by Morgan Stanley. Tom Ford is by his side. In front of both of them, leaning back on the couch, is Francois Pinot. In his early 60s, Pinot has thinning hair and bright blue eyes. He's the owner of the largest retail business in Europe. He's also de Soleil and Ford's best option as a white knight, a friendly buyer to take over Gucci instead of Arnaud. They've approached several potential white knights in the past few weeks, but they've all turned them down. They're quickly running out of options. De Soleil gestures between himself and Ford. Over just five years, Tom and I grew Gucci from a company doing $200 million in sales to doing a billion. Ford steps forward. But we know that we won't be able to grow to $2 billion in sales by doing the same old thing. De Soleil shakes his head emphatically. No. For Gucci to get to the next level, it will need to become a multi-brand company. We're looking for a partner who shares our vision. Pinot smiles. Well, you know from my background that I do like to build things. Pinot dropped out of high school to work for his family's sawmill. He took it public in 1980. With that capital, he expanded his empire. Pinot would buy Converse, the sneaker brand, Samsonite, the luggage company, and Christie's, the auction house. He's now the 35th richest man in the world. But in France, there's one businessman who vastly overshadows him. Bernard Arnault. Pinot's largely stayed out of the luxury space, but he feels that it's time to change that. I bet a lot of people you've met with are afraid of going up against Arnaud. Uh-huh, right. Well, I'm not. Why should Arnaud have all the fun in the luxury sector? De Soleil and Ford exchange an excited glance. This is exactly what they've been waiting to hear. Pinot shifts in his seat. Uh, there is one thing. I understand from the media that the judge has ordered you to restart negotiations with LVMH. De Soleil nods. Yes, next week. Well then, let's seal the deal before next week. De Soleil's eyebrows shoot up his forehead. Before next week? Yes, if we can't get it settled before you restart negotiations with LVMH, then the deal is off. Sound good? De Soleil and Ford exchange a glance. They don't know if they can pull this off, but they don't have another choice. Yes, absolutely. Fantastic. Great idea. The three men shake on it and get on the phone with their lawyers. They'll need to pull a lot of all-nighters if they're going to get this done on time. It's March 19th, 1999. Paris, France. Bernard Arnault storms into a conference room at LVMH headquarters. He was delivering a speech at a Louis Vuitton executive retreat at Euro Disneyland when an assistant passed him a note. It told him that Francois Pinot had just bought Gucci. He rushed back to headquarters for an emergency meeting with his top executives. Arnault flings himself into a chair at the head of the table, 
looking around the room. There's only one move left. Pierre Godet, his second in command, looks at him warily. Are you sure? Of course I'm sure. We're putting in a bid for the entire company. I'm not going quietly into the night. They're going to have to fight me to the bitter end. Okay. How much do you want to offer per share? Eighty-one dollars. That's more than eight billion dollars total. Yes, I can do the math. Uh, Do you really think Gucci is worth that much? It's worth what I'm willing to spend. Godet raises his eyebrows skeptically, but keeps his concerns to himself. We'll prepare the bid. Arnaud nods. De Soleil and Arnaud have done everything they can to win control of Gucci. It's up to the shareholders now. Will they stick with Pinot, which means standing by De Soleil and Tom Ford? Or will the wolf in Kashmir prove once again that he's the top predator when it comes to luxury goods? Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. It's April 1999, Amsterdam. Domenico de Soleil pops open a bottle of champagne over the bow of a packed party barge floating down a canal. He watches as the cork arcs into the sky, plopping down into the water with a splash. De Soleil turns around and faces a crowd of Gucci executives. The champagne overflows out of the bottle running down his hand. Do you know what I like about this brand of champagne? It's not owned by LVMH? Correct. It's independent of LVMH, just like Gucci is. The whole crowd erupts into cheers. The board rejected Bernard Arnault's offer to buy Gucci, standing by de Soleil, Tom Ford, and Francois Pinot. Even when Arnault increased his bid to $91 per share, de Soleil tips his head back and takes a long chug of champagne. He weaves his way through the crowd, receiving congratulations and backslaps from nearly everyone he passes. Congratulations! Bravo! Gucci De Soleil finds Ford near the back of the barge, smoking a cigar. Tom! Ford turns and grins at him. Dom! De Soleil offers Ford the champagne bottle. I have a very important question. Aside from you, who's the most exciting fashion designer working right now? Ford takes a long drag of his cigar, exhaling the smoke up over De Soleil's head. That's easy. Alexander McQueen. McQueen is a Scottish designer who launched his own label at the age of 23 and quickly gained a reputation for his eccentric designs. De Soleil lights up. 
He's currently creative director at Givenchy, right? Givenchy is a French fashion and perfume house that was founded in the 1950s and bought by LVMH in the 1980s. Ford nods with a sly smile. He sure is, but word on the street is that McQueen is frustrated that LVMH won't invest in his personal line. Uh, Maybe that's an area Gucci can help out with. Well, I certainly think it's worth considering. Desolet takes another long swig from the champagne bottle. He beat Arnaud once. He has no intention of stopping now. It's Gucci's time to rise. Soon, Gucci announces that it's bought 51% of Alexander McQueen's eponymous line. It's the first outside company Gucci has invested in, signaling Desolet's goal to turn Gucci into an empire. But while Arnaud and Louis Vuitton are taking some licks, Arnaud's bet on Marc Jacobs is about to pay off. It's 2000, Paris. Marc Jacobs wanders around the back of his friend's apartment, a glass of wine in his hand. In the living room, a party is raging, but Jacobs doesn't have the energy to mingle. He's too distracted by work. In the three years he's been creative director of Louis Vuitton, he feels like his work has been fine. It hasn't been transcendent, and he hasn't brought in significant numbers of new customers to the brand, which was his mandate. It almost feels like a code he can't crack, and it's been eating at him recently. Jacobs pushes open the door to his friend's bedroom. He needs a moment of quiet to recharge. Then he'll get back to the party and be his usual vivacious self. He perches on the lower corner of the bed and places his glass on a black trunk at its foot. He reaches into his pocket, pull out a pack of cigarettes. As Jacobs lights his cigarette, he realizes that the trunk wasn't originally black. It's been painted over and there's some kind of design underneath. Curious, he leans in closer to get a better look. (laughs) A surprised laugh erupts from him. This isn't just any trunk. It's a Louis Vuitton. The design that's been covered up is the famous monogram. If I dared to mess with a monogram like that. One of Louis Vuitton's strict rules is that Jacobs can't alter their monogram in the slightest. Suddenly, Jacobs sits up straighter his mind racing. If I dared to mess with the monogram... Hmm. Jacobs paces his friend's room, inspired. He knows how he can make his mark at Louis Vuitton and attract new customers. But he'll have to convince his bosses to violate one of their core tenets. It's 2000, Paris. Marc Jacobs excitedly paces in front of Louis Vuitton CEO Yves Carcel and his second-in-command. Jacobs speaks passionately, so much energy coursing through him you can practically see it humming in the air around him. There's a precedent for what I'm suggesting. Think of Marcel Duchamp defacing the Mona Lisa. There's power in getting rough and dirty with an iconic image and creating something new but equally as powerful. The executives in front of him 
share an uneasy glance. Carcel interweaves his fingers and places his hands in front of him on his desk. I just don't know. I just don't know. Jacobs clenches his fists and shakes them in front of him. I'm telling you, if we do this right and transform your venerable logo into something modern and cool, we will bring in a whole new audience. People who wouldn't currently come near Louis Vuitton with a ten-foot pole. The second in command leans forward. Okay, so how would you ensure that we did this right and really did create something that is uh, modern and cool? Well, I wouldn't do it alone. I'd bring in Stephen Sprouse to collaborate. Stephen Sprouse is a fashion designer who rose to prominence in the 1980s by marrying high fashion with punk aesthetics. Sprouse will knock this out of the park, and just having him on board will bring massive press attention. Carcel nods and turns toward his second-in-command, speaking in a low voice. Uh, The press angle does sound promising. His second-in-command nods. We could just produce the bag for fashion shows and photo shoots. We we don't have to put them into production. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, that, that sounds like a good compromise. Carcel turns back to Jacobs. Okay, let's try it. Yes! Jacobs claps his hands together and bounces up and down on the balls of his feet. This is going to be big. He can feel it. Jacobs and Sprouse worked together to design a handwritten-looking font that they used to scrawl the words Louis Vuitton over a variety of bags, giving it a feel that the logo has been graffitied on. It's a low-brow pop-punk aesthetic that turns people's image of Louis Vuitton on its head. And it's an immediate hit. As soon as the bag debuts at the 2001 show, it's a sensation. So many people call wanting to buy a bag with a new logo. Louis Vuitton puts the line into production. The collaboration is credited with bringing in $300 million worth of new business to the company. And while Jacobs is generating new excitement for Louis Vuitton, Gucci finds itself at an unexpected crossroads. It's 2004, London. Frida Janini sits across from Francois Pinot, running her hand through her long blonde hair. She hopes she doesn't look as nervous as she feels. Pinot looks over her portfolio. For the past two years, Janini has been Gucci's head handbag designer, but today she's interviewing to become head of women's wear. This would be a major step up and it's one she didn't expect to be taking so soon. But, shocking everyone, Tom Ford and Domenico de Soleil have left Gucci to start their own label after negotiations over their new contract stalled out with Pinot. Janini heard that Pinot didn't want to give the two men the degree of control they wanted. It's a huge change for Gucci, and a huge opportunity for Janini. Pinot looks up from her portfolio and smiles. Really impressive work. Let's just jump into it. You get named as head of women's wear. Your first show, what do you do? What's your vision for Gucci? Janini smiles. She's ready for this. First of all, I need to state the obvious. I'm not Tom Ford. 
I'm not going to be able to do what Tom Ford did. But I think that's a positive. Tom's a genius, no doubt. But he has a very aggressive, very sexy style that turns off as many customers as it turns on. There are customers who want a more classic, more refined look. I would design clothes for them. Pinot nods. You know, I think you're absolutely right. We need someone who's going to take Gucci in a new direction. We're not looking for someone to imitate what Ford did. And I think there are assets that Gucci has that haven't been taken advantage of. Gucci is over 80 years old. It has decades of archives to use as inspiration. I don't want to reinvent the wheel. Let's look at what Gucci did in the past that worked and see how we can refresh it to work for now. Hmm, that's really smart. Janini smiles. Confidence sweeps over her. She thinks she's going to get this. Janini is named head of women's wear, but filling Tom Ford's loafers is a tall order. And whether Janini is up to the task is a big question, especially while Marc Jacobs and Louis Vuitton continue to surge. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, it isn't just your business, it's your life. Whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's where State Farm Small Business Insurance comes in. See, State Farm agents are small business owners too. They know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. It's October 2008, Florence, Italy. Frida Janini stares out the window of her office, trying to commit the view to memory. This could be one of the last times she sees it. Gucci's new CEO, Patrizio DeMarco, is scheduled to arrive any moment now. In the six years she's been at Gucci, DeMarco is her fourth CEO but this is her first time going through the transition since she's been in the role of creative director. She fully expects to be out of a job by the end of the meeting. The relationship between CEO and creative director is so close. CEOs tend to want to bring in their own person for the role. The intercom on her phone buzzes and her assistant's voice comes through. Mr. DeMarco's here. Giannini takes a deep breath and answers. Thank you. Please send him in. Janini stands up and smooths down her skirt and heads to the door. DeMarco strides in. His dark hair flops over his forehead, brushing against his small wire-rimmed glasses. Janini's caught off guard by just how handsome he is. She'd seen photos of him online, but they don't do him justice. Janini sticks out her hand. I'm Frida. Nice to meet you. Patricio, likewise. Janini indicates a couch against the back wall of the office. Please, have a seat. DeMarco sits down, sinking into the low couch. Janini takes a seat in the chair opposite him. She towers above DeMarco, liking the feeling of power the height gives her. She points to a thick leather portfolio case sitting on the coffee table. 
I put together a portfolio of all my designs I've done as creative director. I'm happy to walk you through them and tell you my intentions behind each of them. Wow, you're very prepared. I wasn't expecting anything so uh, formal in this initial meeting. Well, I heard that when you were preparing for your interview for the CEO role, you put together a 150-page document about everything you would do as head of Gucci. I thought I should follow suit. Hmm. Touché. He smiles at her, his eyes twinkling. Janini smiles back, surprised to find she might actually like this man. DeMarco brushes a hand through his hair. But uh, seriously, I I did my homework. I'm familiar with your designs. The press hasn't been too favorable about them, have they? Janini shrugs defensively. Critics have dubbed her designs retro and uninspiring. They sell well. Customers like the throwback to the classic era. It's true. I think the bigger picture is that our boutique managers are filling their stores with cheap goods that feature the GG logo. You know, uh, your designs are getting lost. We need to change that. We? Yes. I don't want a creative director who is constantly pushing the envelope. I think that's arrogant and pretentious. Relying on classic designs from the archive is a smart move in my book. Janini smiles. Ah, that's not what I was expecting to hear. So, it's agreed? We'll keep working together? Yes, I'd like that. Great. Now I need to ask you a question. Can we uh, move to that table over there? He points to the round table in the center of the room where Janini typically holds meetings. Janini nods. She doesn't feel the need to assert her power over him anymore. Janini stays on in her role as creative director and continues to rely on the archives as the inspiration for her designs. A year later, Janini and DeMarco start a personal relationship in addition to their professional one. But Gucci's decision to rely on the archives for their designs risks customers and critics finding the designs boring and unimaginative. When Louis Vuitton finds itself in search of a new creative director, they take a different approach. And a new player makes her voice known. It's 2013, Paris. Delphine Arnaud sits at a conference table at LVMH headquarters. Across from her is her father, Bernard Arnaud, and Louis Vuitton's CEO, Mark Burke. The three of them have been spending the afternoon going over candidates to head up women's wear for Louis Vuitton. After a 16-year run as creative director, Mark Jacobs has left the company to focus exclusively on his own label. Burke shifts in his seat. No matter who we hire, they'll be compared to Mark. I think we need to find someone who is naturally quite different from Mark. Arnaud shakes his head. But we need to keep some consistency. Our clothes can't suddenly take a left turn. Delphine leans forward, ready to weigh in. Delphine is Arnaud's oldest child and only daughter. She was named VP and executive director of Louis Vuitton earlier this year. Many people see the appointment as a sign that she's her father's heir apparent. But Delphine knows it's no sure bet. She has four younger brothers. They're all in contention. But this, this is a moment to make her mark. 
I think we have to see this as an opportunity to refocus our brand on exclusivity. We should create lines that are more than just fashionable clothes and handbags, but collectibles. That's what Marc Jacobs did so brilliantly with his collaborations. Arnaud and Burke nod. Delphine narrows her eyes. But to do that, we need to hire a designer with a singularly striking vision. Arnaud gives a half-smile. The rest of the world may think you have a poker face, Delphine, but I know you. You have someone in mind. Who? Nicolas Jasquier. Mm, that's an interesting idea. Nicolas Jasquier is the former creative director of Balenciaga. He's known for bold hip designs that feature surprising contrasts. He's credited with turning Balenciaga around and making it one of the fastest growing brands in the world. Delphine rubs her hands together. Hiring Jasquier would be a clear signal that Louis Vuitton isn't relying on its past. We won't be digging into our archives. We're focused on the future and creating the fashion of tomorrow. Arnaud and Burke exchange a nod. All right, Delphine, you convinced us. Louis Vuitton hires Nicolas Jasquier as their head of women's wear. Delphine's prediction is spot on. The fashion industry approves of the choice, commenting that Louis Vuitton's transition from Marc Jacobs feels well thought through and invigorating. Meanwhile, Gucci's bet on its past has backfired. But out of the ashes, Gucci is about to rise again. It's January 2015, Florence. Alessandro Michel walks through Gucci's empty design studio. Taylor's dummies outfitted in muted cashmere sweaters and tasteful peacoats are scattered about. Michel's mind is swirling. He's just been told that his bosses, Gucci creative director Frida Giannini and CEO Patrizio DeMarco, have been fired. Sales have been slumping and critics have been tearing apart Gucci's clothes, so Francois Pinot cut bait. He's named Michel Interim Creative Director. Michel's now in charge of the menswear show they're putting up. Do whatever you want, Pinot told him. The only catch is that the show is in less than a week. It's the break Michel has been waiting for since Tom Ford hired him at Gucci back in 2002 to design handbags. He worked his way up to Assistant Creative Director under Janini, and now, at 42 years old, He's in charge. For this one show, anyway. Michelle walks over to one of the tailor dummies and strips it of its drab peacoat, tossing the coat across the room. Those have got to go. If he's putting together a show, it's going to have bright colors and pizzazz. He grabs a long piece of pink silk and begins draping it over the bust until it forms a blouse. Michelle leans back, admiring his work. He likes the androgyny of the piece, but there's something missing. He studies it, his hand rubbing over the scruff of his beard. Ah, I know. He cuts a strip of the fabric and ties it around the bust's neck, forming a pussy bow. There it is. He lets out a loud, giddy laugh. He's going to do this. 
He's going to completely redesign this show in less than a week. And he is going to show the world what Gucci will look like under him. Critics won't call it boring, that's for sure. He's going to put Gucci back on the map. Alessandro Michel's debut menswear collection is a hit and a huge departure from Giannini's staid work. He's named the permanent creative director two days after the show. His gender-bending fashion makes Gucci a hit with Gen Z icons, including singer Harry Styles. In March 2018, Louis Vuitton fires back against Gucci's play for the youth market. They hire Virgil Abloh as their artistic director of menswear, the first black man to hold the position at the company. Trained as an architect, Abloh is the founder of the brand Off-White and Kanye West's former creative director. He brings a hip street style to the brand, keeping the company fresh and drawing in a younger male customer. But while Louis Vuitton still has the most total sales, by 2019, Gucci is the fastest growing luxury brand in the world. By 2021, Gucci was valued at over a billion dollars more than Louis Vuitton and considered the hottest luxury fashion and accessory company in the world. But in November 2021, Abloh dies from a rare form of cancer. And further uncertainty is also ahead for Louis Vuitton. Bernard Arnault, who has steered the company for over 30 years, is now 73. All five of his children currently hold positions within the LVMH empire. But who will officially be named his successor is very much an open question. And whether they can fill the paw prints of the wolf in cashmere is an even bigger one. From Wondery, this is episode four of Gucci versus Louis Vuitton for Business Wars. Next up on Business Wars, we hit the runway with Rachel Tastian. She is fashion news director at Harper's Bazaar. She's giving us the inside scoop on Gucci and Louis Vuitton and how these brands are keeping up with consumer tastes that change as quickly as the trends themselves. A quick note about recreations you've been hearing. In most cases, we can't know exactly what was said. Those scenes are dramatizations, but they're based on historical research. If you'd like to read more about Gucci and Louis Vuitton, we recommend Gucci's Renaissance Man by Rebecca Mead, originally published in The New Yorker, and The House of Gucci by Sarah Gay Forden. I'm your host, David Brown. Austin Rackless wrote this story. Voice acting by Michelle Philippi. Karen Lowe is our senior producer and editor edited and produced by Emily Frost. Sound designed by Kyle Randall. Our producer is Dave Schilling. Our executive producers are Jenny Lauer-Beckman and Marshall Louie. Created by Hernan Lopez for Wondery. Welcome to Pura, the most pristine safe, climate-stable city on Earth. A haven amidst the wreckage. Here, 
You're safe from heat domes, superstorms, water bandits in the Outer Lands. There's no crime in Pura. No murder, no suicide. And best of all, there's no cost to join us. In Pura, we promised to keep you safe. They killed her! You took everything! In a world that doesn't feel so safe anymore, we're waiting for you. Here, in Pura. The Last City is a new scripted audio drop from Wondery. Enjoy The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City right now, ad-free, on Wondery+. Plus. Get started with your free trial at wondery.com slash plus.